Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and we want to say thank you, Lord, that, um, Lord, you hear us when we call. Father, I thank you that even though you have, um, you have not come the first time to give us the full redemption, to give us completely healed bodies, to, um, uh, Father, you came the first time to purchase it. And Father, now we eagerly await it. Father, we groan in these bodies as we're waiting on it. And Father, we know it's coming. But Father, I thank You, God, that You let us experience some of the first fruits of it right now. Father, I thank You that You encourage us by, um, uh, Lord, answering our prayers and, and healing the way that You do, God. Father, I thank You for, um, for the results that we've heard from Brother Adam this morning. And Lord, as Nick has already said, we pray, God, that, Lord, that number would go to zero. Father, we pray that, um, Lord, we would be able to come back and, and just continue to say that the only thing that could have happened is You answered. Father, I just pray for, for a, a work in Adam's life that, that there is no other explanation except for You answered. And Father, I pray, God, that You would give us even more reason than we already have to glorify Your great name. Father, we... We give you thanks this morning that, uh, Lord, as the song was sung, Father, we, I have no idea why we should gain from your reward. But Lord, one thing I know for sure, I know it with all my heart, your wounds have paid my ransom. Father, and I thank you this morning that we will reign with you. <laughs> Lord, I thank you, God, that, um, Father, we will share the throne with you. Lord, I have... I have no understanding of why in the world you are um, you would show that kind of grace to people like us. But Father, we thank you this morning, God, for for the ransom that you have paid for us. Father, we pray this morning as we um, get into your word, God, Lord, we pray that we would hear from you, Lord. We we don't just want to read a book, Father. We know that this word is living, it is active, it is powerful. And Father, I pray this morning as we read from it that, that our lives would be changed. God, I pray that we would grow in our faith in You, that Father, we would grow in our Christ-likeness, that Father, we would the new man that You're creating inside of us would, would be more mature when we leave here today because of what we've heard from You. So Father, I pray that You would accomplish that purpose as You send Your Word out this morning. Father, we love You. We just pray that You would forgive us when our lives don't reflect the way that we should. But Father, again, we thank You for mercy. We thank You for grace. And Father, we pray, God, that You would just uh, mold us more into Your image so we can be uh, even more pleasing to You, God. Father, we love You and we praise You and we ask You for these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you got your Bibles, I pray that you do. Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read verses... 17 through 27. I want to remind you as you're turning there that uh, this is a continuance in our study of what it means to be born again. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we have been through a teaching to understand that, that in salvation that Jesus gives us new hearts. He gives us new minds. He gives His own Spirit inside of us that, 
leads us and guides us and teaches us. And it is literally a new creation that takes place inside of us. This is not behavioral modification. And so whenever we speak to you from what God says this morning, we're not just trying to get you to be a better person. We are speaking words of life to a new creation. And by the power of God's Holy Spirit, when you believe Him by faith and you put it into practice because you trust Him, you follow Him, you love Him, a new man is created. And so that's what's taking place in this this morning. Now what we have moved to over the last few weeks is the application of being born again. So it's important that you understand being born again is not something that that happens and then you're done. <laughs> I'm saved and, and that's the end of it. No, that is actually the beginning, as I said, of the new creation. And so now we are learning from Him and His Word. We are being renewed in the spirit of our minds. And you remember this as we're reading through it this morning. So you see that that's what Paul's doing and that's what he's talking about. But we're being renewed in the spirits of our mind by learning from Him and learning from His words. And as we learn from Him, we put off the old man that has been crucified with Christ. And we put on the new man that's being created after the likeness of Almighty God in true righteousness and holiness. And so with that in mind, if you, if you have the means and you're able, uh, if you would stand one more time just to give reverence in reading this Word. If you need to remain seated, that's okay. Um, but if you have the means and you're able to stand, I'd appreciate you doing so. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So there again, old minds, sinful minds, minds that don't don't look to follow God. They're just living life. They're just living for the world. They're living for you, right? And that's who you were before you came to know Christ and before you were born again. So you don't walk like that any longer. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. In other words, they don't know. They can't see it. And it is due to their hardness of heart. And then verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality or to an unbridled fleshly lust. They just do whatever feels good, whatever makes you happy. The world says to you, just follow your heart. That's sensuality. Just do whatever, whatever is in your heart, whatever you feel like is right. They are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But look at verse 20. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus. And here's the truth. That you put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through what? Deceitful desires. And that you are renewed in the spirit of your minds, and you put on the new self that's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now we get to the application. What does this look like, Paul? Well, here's your answer. Therefore, having put away falsehood, 
Put away lying. And let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. And then today's application, we get to be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You can be seated. Today, as we move into the application of this new man, again, I can't stress this enough. This is not behavioral modification. This is a new creation. This is for people who believe with all their heart that your old sinful life that was corrupt through deceitful desires has been buried with Christ. Do you believe that this morning? And this is for people that believe that Christ, just as the Holy Spirit has given Him life and raised Him from the dead, in the same way you too have been given new life by the Spirit of God being put in you, and you have been risen to life from the dead of your sins, and now you are putting on a new creation, a new man. And this new man, the first truth that Paul brings out about him, he's not a liar. Now, you were corrupt in your old man because of deceitful desires. What does it mean to deceive? To put on something that's not true. To try to, to believe something that is not true. Or to cause to believe something that is not really the way that it is. And so one of the first things that you do is you put on the new man that is a man of truthfulness. He speaks truth with his neighbor. Neighbor, Why? Because we are members one of another. I remind you of this, and I'm not going to take you back to it, but Ephesians chapter 4, the whole chapter is about the oneness that God has created in the body of Christ, and the reason He created it is He gave each one gifts so that we all are trying to attain to the goal of being in the fullness of the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. In other words, this new man is being created after the likeness of God, right? In true righteousness and holiness. Well, guess who is the greatest example of that? Jesus. And so now we come together as a church to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to learn from Him and to put it on what we learn from the school of Jesus. And as we put this on, there is a oneness that takes place between us and we minister to each other and we grow together and we help each other to become more and more like the fullness of the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. Now, if we come together and we start lying to one another and we're deceiving one another, what happens to that oneness and that unity? It begins to fall apart. And so Paul's concern here is that, because if you were to go back to Ephesians chapter 4 verse, um, verse 14, or actually start in verse 13, and look at what he says right here. So you get the context of what's happening. Paul says, "...until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ..." And listen to this, "...so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in what? 
deceitful schemes. In other words, again, there's a lot of deception that is going on in this church, right? And there, there has been a lot of lying that's taking place. And Paul says, listen, that's not the way you've learned Christ. More than likely, some of the lies were, you don't have to, once you're born again, you don't have to try to get rid of these sins or these sins or these sins. You can just live however you want to live because Jesus saved you from all of that. And so now Paul has to come in and says, hey guys, that's not the truth you learned. The truth you learned in Christ is that you put all this off and you put on the new man. And one of the first things you've got to do is quit lying to each other because we're members of one another. Alright? Now we move into what happens, what emotion gets stirred up when you find out someone has lied to you? So now Paul moves from lying into the next phase of application and he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Verse 26, be angry. Now there are a lot of preachers that they'll preach to you that, that anger is sinful. Now can anger be sinful? Is a lot of times anger sinful when it comes from us. Yes, even the Bible says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But you need to understand something. Anger in and of itself is not sinful. Matter of fact, God is angry right now. The Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. Every day He's angry. Is God, sin, is God sinful? Not at all. And so there is a time and there is an understanding that anger is not necessarily a bad emotion. But what makes it bad is what you do with it. How you respond to it. And so what Paul wants to get across to us this morning is how you can actually be angry when there is an appropriate time for you to be angry but to respond to it in a way that does not lead you into sin and does not give opportunity to the devil. Because the devil would love nothing more than to break up your unity with your brothers and sisters and to stop the goal of attaining to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. Because if he can break down this unity, he can put a little stall into the ultimate goal that we're trying to achieve. Y'all tracking with me? Now here's what I want you to understand this morning. There are some of your versions this morning, if you have the New International Version, if you have the New Living Translation, if you have the New King James Version, not the King James, but the New King James, if you have a Berean Study Bible, there are many translations that actually put this part right here into quotes. Be angry and do not sin. If you have the New American Standard Bible, they put anything that is quoted from the Old Testament into capital letters. And so if you have the New American Standard, you'll notice this is in all caps. Not every translation puts this in quotes, and I, I researched it. I couldn't find out why. But here's what I believe from the research that I've done. The reason why there are some translations that don't quote it is because Paul doesn't actually come out and say, the psalmist said, quote. And so he just 
says the same words that come from this psalm. He did the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5, the previous verse, verse 25. Whenever he said, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, he was actually quoting from uh, Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16, I believe is where it's at. He was quoting back from that. What we find out from this verse, verse 26, when he says, be angry, but do not sin, what he's actually doing is quoting back to Psalm chapter 4. Now, to really understand what it is that Paul is trying to get across to us as Christians this morning, the best thing we can do is go back to Psalm chapter 4 and read this psalm in the context so that we understand why Paul is quoting it. Because think about it. If Paul is trying to help us apply the new man, he could have started with put off sexual immorality and put on... um, uh, sexual morality. He could have started with... Um, uh, um, there are all kinds of sins that he could have started with, but these are the ones that he started with. So I would like to know, Paul, why are you taking this route right here? So go back with me to Psalm chapter 4. You can hold your place in Ephesians 4. We'll come back to there in just a little bit. But in Psalm chapter 4, I want you to notice that this is a psalm many believe that David wrote in connection to the event... Any of you remember when David's son was trying to take the kingdom away from him? Just, just some highlights of it. His name was Absalom. Absalom was a, was a very well-liked young man. Very strong. He was somebody that everybody just was, uh, was attracted to. They, they loved him. Well, Absalom would stand out by the gate and he would wait on the people would come in, and he would get a chariot for himself, and he'd sit there in his chariot, and he would say, Oh, that someone were here to judge your cases and give you what is right. But there's no one there. If someone would just make me a judge, I would give each man. And then ultimately, basically, Absalom made his way up the ladder by becoming a judge over the people, and they loved him. Because he basically, when they come to him for justice, he gave them whatever they wanted. And so he won the heart of the people. And ultimately, Absalom begins drawing away David's people, David's army. A lot of David's army goes. So the kingdom is sort of split. And some of them, a few of them go with David, but the majority of the kingdom follows along with Absalom. Long story short, um, David has to run for his life from his own son, but his people are turning on him. All these lies are being told about him. He don't give justice to the people. He won't do anything that he's supposed to do. He's a bad king. He's not showing us any goodness as a king, any happiness. And so you need to understand when you read Psalm chapter 4 that it is believed that that is the context that this is being written in. So ultimately... Psalm chapter 4 is a psalm that David is teaching the people how to deal with anger by the way that he dealt with it when he was dealing with it in this time. So it starts out, the first thing I want you to notice is this psalm is to the choir master with stringed instruments. It is a psalm of David. David wrote this psalm because he meant for it to be presented to the church. 
This is a psalm that he gave to the church. They would sing it, and as they sung this, it was to teach them how to respond to anger. And that's what this is about. So notice what he says. The first thing he does in this psalm, he starts out with prayer. So again, his, his, his men of his army, his men of rank, as you're going to see here in a few minutes, they've turned on him. They've went with Absalom. He's still got a few of them left. Joab and a few of his main men are still with him. But he's dealing with the people that have been drawn away by Absalom because Absalom is the only one that will actually be a good king to them and be good to them and show graciousness to them and give them justice. And so David starts out with prayer to God before he presents this psalm to the people. And here's David's prayer. He says, God, answer me when I call. You are the God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. So in other words, David remembers back and he remembers that in other times in my anger, in other times in the the stress in my life, you have given me relief. And so I'm starting off this thing right now. I'm angry and, and here's another thing to keep in mind. These are his family members that have come against him. This is his kingdom. And they have completely turned on him. And the first thing he does is he starts out and he says, God, I need your help. See, here's the first problem with us in the way that we respond to anger. And David has a right to be angry, right? His own son has stolen his kingdom away from him, right? His army, his people have followed his son out of battle. They know David. They know what David has done for them, right? They know what kind of king he's been. And yet, they've turned on him. He has a right to be angry. And ultimately, if they believe what Absalom has said is true about David, then guess what? they got a right to be angry too. Our king is not doing anything good for us. He won't sit and judge between us so that we can have justice. And so anger is really right on both sides here depending on which truth you believe, correct? So he prays. He says, God, I need you. I need you bad. See, here's the reason I want you to pay attention. Because as I told you before, the unity in this thing is vital. The way that Paul started out Ephesians chapter 4 is, I'm begging you to maintain the unity. Put on humility, put on gentleness, put on kindness, put on long-suffering. You have to maintain the unity that God has put. And go back and read it for yourself. The first six verses of Ephesians chapter 4, you'll see it's vital. And so he now comes in and he says, I need you bad because the unity has been broken. So be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So the first thing you need to do whenever our brothers and sisters have sinned against us, you need to make sure that the first place you go is to the Lord. But how many of you know whenever somebody makes me mad, what's usually the first thing I do? I either lash out or I pick up the phone or I go to somebody else and say, you ain't going to believe what... Come on, y'all. Are y'all with me this morning? Am I preaching to anybody in here this morning? Y'all know how we do. And so the first thing David says is, I want to teach you as a church to understand, if you're going to really resolve your anger, even if it's justified, 
the first thing you've got to be able to do is you've got to go to the right source of the one who can offer relief and the one who can actually fix this. And this is God Himself. And He says here, be gracious to me, God, and hear me. And so then He turns His attention from the prayer to the people. Now, some of your translations may read, O men of rank. Some translations just say, O men. Some translations translate to, can translate this word to mean, O my children, or O my grandchildren. You can go to other sections in the Bible to where this same word that we're translating as men right here is translated as children. And so ultimately, David is talking to probably his, uh, his children in the kingdom, probably his own children, probably his men of rank, probably the people in his army that have turned against him. And this is what he says, O oh, men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? So here's the second thing that David does when he responds to his anger. He turns and he pleads to the people that are angry with him or even vice versa, that in a sense he is angry with because of the lies that they believe. But he responds to them in understanding. How many of you know that sometimes, probably even a lot of times, what has made you angry is a lot of times a misunderstanding? That they really didn't even mean to make you angry, but lies have been told, vain words have been given, something has happened, and so here we are. And so the next thing that David does is he pleads with his people. He pleads with his family and he says, Oh men of rank, oh my children, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? And this word, salah, it is actually a word that they believe it means, the reason why they don't try to translate it into any kind of English word is because they're not 100% sure exactly what it means. But, they, so they just, they just spell it in its Hebrew form. But ultimately, what they believe it means is it was a pause in a song that they were singing. It was meant to give pause and to think about something. So in other words, he wanted the instruments to keep playing, but for the people to stop at this point, because he wants the people to stop and think. And so what we need to do in this is plead with our people and take some time to stop and think. Stop and meditate. Don't just react so quickly. Now, you think about what Jesus taught when He said, if your brother or sister offends you. I think it's in um, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Matthew, no, I'm sorry, it's not that. It is, um, look at Luke chapter 6, verse 28 first. Okay, that was my first one. So again, Jesus taught the same thing. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. So again, the first thing was He was praying first. Same thing Jesus taught. Now go to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. And this, this is the same thing Jesus taught in the next point that I had. To plead with those who hurt you. Look what He says. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So go and plead with your brother first, right? 
But the problem is, most of us are not people who are willing to really want reconciliation. Most of us just want to be mad. (laughs) Most of us just want to be mad. And when somebody does something to us, we just want to be mad and we just want you to know that I'm mad. It's not that I'm really trying to seek reconciliation here. And Jesus says to us right here, if you find yourself in a situation where your brother or sister has angered you, then yes, be angry, but go to him and tell him his fault between you and him. And look, if he listens to you, what happened? So again, the goal here is that we come back together is that we can set this anger aside, this emotion aside, and that we can get back to each other and say, you know what, I'm sorry I made you mad. I'm sorry this is what I did. I'm sorry that this is the way I acted whenever whatever happened. I'm sorry I said this. I'm sorry I let my mouth open up and stupid fall out. Anybody ever had that happen before? No, nobody in here. And so... We have to understand that we have a responsibility to go and plead. And that's what David is doing there in Psalms. He's saying, oh men of rank, oh my children, how long are you going to let my honor be turned into shame? How long are you going to believe vain words and and believe these, these lies that are being told? And he pleads with them about this. Because again, Absalom is telling them, this king ain't doing nothing for you. If only there were someone in the kingdom who would actually listen to your cases, I'd give you justice. And then he steals the people away from him in this. And so there's reason to be angry. And then the next thing he does in Psalm chapter 4, look at verse 3. He reminds them that he belongs to God. He reminds them that just like they belong to God, He belongs to God. So in other words, you need to understand that it's not just somebody else out here in the world that don't belong to God. You think you're the only one that belongs to God? You think you're the only one of God's children in this place? No. No, you're not. And so so David says next, he says, but no, remember he's speaking to the men of Israel, right? Oh men, how long? How long? But know this, oh men that the Lord God has set apart the godly for who? For Himself. In other words, just remember something, guys. I belong to God. Yes, you belong to God. Yes, Absalom belongs to God. And yes, we've got this division that's happened, but guys, you need to remember something. I belong to God. See, you remember whenever um, Miriam and Aaron said some words about Moses? Moses had married a woman that they didn't disagree with, All right, She was an Ethiopian woman, and whether we use that a lot of times that it was her skin color, we don't really know for certain. But for whatever reason, Moses' brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron, had disagreement and did not like the woman that Moses married. And they spoke against Moses because of it. Now when that happened, the Lord came back to Miriam and Moses and said, Why were you not afraid to speak badly about my servant Moses? He belongs to me. He's mine. Now, did that mean that Miriam and Moses were not gods? No. They were gods too. But the fact of the matter was, Miriam and Moses, God said, you should have been afraid to speak against this man because he belongs to me. 
and the same way for Moses to them, or me to you, or so on and so on. Guys, we need to remember something in this church. You are not the only one that is God's child in this place. If you are a born-again Christian, I don't care how good or how bad you are, you belong to Him. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. The Lord hears when I call to Him. Now, David's not threatening these people. This is just a reminder to them, right? You need to remember something. The Lord hears my prayers too. (laughs) The Lord, I am His. I belong to Him too. And that would be a very good thing for you and I to keep in mind when we're responding to anger, especially when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? They belong to the Lord. You can get mad if you want to. And maybe you're supposed to be angry. Maybe there is a time to be angry. But you better remember something before you respond. They belong to the Lord. And He don't play around with people that come after those that belong to Him. So that's the next thing. Go with me to verse 4 of um, Psalm chapter 4. So then He says to them, He's still speaking to the people here. He says, okay... Even if you believe what Solomon is saying, here's what you need to do. Or not Solomon, I'm sorry, Absalom. Even if you believe the vain lies, even if you believe the vain words he's given, you better do this. Be angry. Be angry. Because if it's true, you got every right to be angry. Be angry. But don't respond to your anger in a way that leads you into sin. And here's what he says to do next. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. And then what's that next word? Selah. Think about that. Think about it. Meditate on it. Spend some time thinking about that for just a minute. In other words, here's what he's saying very quickly. In your response to anger... Be angry, but slow down. Slow down. How many of us are so quick? I'm angry, I'm fixing to do something. Slow down. Slow down. And then I love the way he says right here, because I take what Paul, I used to take what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. I used to take that to mean... You better settle this thing before the sun goes down. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what Paul's saying. He's actually saying, don't let the sun go down on your rage or your wrath. And if you go back and study the Greek, you'll notice when he says, be angry but don't sin, that word anger is a different word from when he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. We translate them both as anger. They're two completely separate Greek words. The first Greek word is an anger that's controlled. So be angry, but controlled in your anger. The second word is don't let the sun go down on your rage, your wrath. That is uncontrolled anger. Whenever the wrath of God comes, that means He's turned loose. There's no more mercy left. There's no more holding back. But instead, it is just rage that is coming to be unleashed. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You know how you do that? Be angry, but don't sin. And here's what you do. What does it mean to ponder? Think. Think. You know, here's the thing about it. 
I'm going to get a little, I was going to say psychotic, but um, no. <clears throat> Psychiatric may be the right word. Psychological. There you go. That's what I'm looking for. Might get psychotic. I don't know. What am I even talking about? Pondering, pondering, pondering. Yes, okay, okay. Your emotions are your friends. Alright? But they can be your enemy depending on how you respond to it. Anger, as I said before, is not necessarily a bad thing. It depends on what you do with it. And so the best thing to do with any emotion is stop. Be angry, but think about it. Think about it. Meditate on it. Stop in your anger and spend some time. And what I see David saying here, spend some time pondering in your own hearts on your beds, and be silent. In other words, you need some space. You need some time for some peace and some quiet. And you need some time to really think through the implications of the way that you respond to this. You need some time to pray, right? You need some time to ask God to help you, to be gracious. You need some time to figure out, when I go to plead with this brother or sister, Am I doing it because I want them to know I'm mad? Or can I go to them and plead with them in a way that really does want to be reconciled? I'm not just wanting you to understand that I'm mad at you. I want you to know we've got something between us and we can't, we can't do this. We've got to figure out how to work this out. Guys, let me tell you all something. This, what I'm preaching to you this morning, I believe, is the number one reason people leave the church. I offended a man one time. It's been years ago. Years ago. I offended a man one time, and I really did not mean to. Now, that's, that is the God's honest truth. I didn't mean to offend him. I jumped the gun on something and came to him on something, and at a very bad, a miss... I shouldn't have went at the time I did. I shouldn't have done it the way that I did. And it offended him. And it should have. It should have offended him. But when I realized what I had done, I went to his house that night. That night. And I sat at his feet. And I begged him to forgive me because I found out how mad he was through... When I found out what happened, I went right then. I didn't wait. I went right then. And I sat down at His feet and I begged Him. I, and I just told Him, I said, I, I, I am sorry. I want you to know I was wrong. I did this. I, did, I, I am sorry. If I could take it back, I would. Um, I apologize. None of that mattered. The only thing that mattered is this person just wanted to be mad. Just wanted to be mad. And I can honestly tell you today, not because I'm a pastor, not because of any other reason other than the fact that I know what I did. I can honestly tell you that I did everything in my power to try to reconcile that situation. But the only thing that they cared about was they just wanted to be mad. And they left. And the family left. 
and everybody else left. That's just one example that I could give you out of many over something that should have been able to have been reconciled and worked through and figured out. I'm trying to teach you something this morning, not so you can walk out of here saying, you know, I never really thought about it that way. I want to know the next time somebody offends you, are you going to grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? Or you just won't be mad? I mean, seriously, I'm not saying that to demean you because I deal with emotions too. <laughs> when you make me mad, it takes me a little time too. Alright? I understand. And David understands. That's the reason why he says here, guys, be what? Angry. Be angry. Be angry. But don't let it lead you into sin. Take some time to stop and think. Ponder in your hearts. Ponder in your minds. On your beds when it's silent. Take some time to pray. And take some time to make sure that the way I'm fixing to deal with this really is seeking for reconciliation. And it's not just because I want this person to know I'm mad. You've offended me. And ain't that, ain't that hard? It is. It's hard. But this is what we have to do if we're going to maintain the unity in this place. Look at the next thing that he says right there. So he says in verse um, 5, here's what I want you to do. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Now, if they were angry, remember they're in church, right? They're in church. They're in here to offer their sacrifices. They're in here to, to serve God. And if they're in there doing it and they're angry and their anger is leading them into sin in the way they respond, are they offering right sacrifices? No. Look what Jesus said about it in um, um, Matthew chapter 18. Is that it? No, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 5 verse 23. Matthew chapter 5 verse 23. I may not even wrote that one down for you, Nathan. I probably didn't. Here's what it says. If you're offering your gift, there it is. If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, what are you to do? Leave your gift at the altar. Go and first be made right with your brother. Then come back and offer your gift. You know why? Because if you try to offer your gift of sacrifice and your gift of worship to God with, an, with the spirit of, of unreconciliation, the spirit of division in your heart, it is a wrong sacrifice. It's a wrong sacrifice. Leave your gift at the altar. Go and be made right with your brother and sister. Then come back. So he's not saying just don't offer your gift. He's saying hold up, there's something you need to do first for this sacrifice to be right. That's the reason why David says in Psalm chapter 4, verse 5, he says to them, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust Him. He knows what He's doing. He knows what's best. And you can trust Him to make the right sacrifice. And then finally, not finally, look, got two more. In, in uh, verse 6, he says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? So in other words, here's what they would say back to David. 
All right, David, you want us to be angry, but don't sin. All right, David, you want us to trust the Lord. All right, David, you want us to first be made right with you and then come and offer our sacrifices. Okay, David, but who's going to show us some good? Now think about it. Absalom's at the gate. He's telling these people what? He ain't going to show you no good. He's not going to give you... So who's going to give us happiness? Who's going to show us good? And they're saying, Lord, lift up your light of your face upon us, Lord. And so then look at David's response to this saying in verse um, 7. He says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. Where are they going to find their happiness? Where are you going to find your happiness when... um, whenever you need to be made right with your brother and you're worried about whether or not you're going to be justified in your anger, it's going to be made right. Who's going to show you any good? Who's going to make sure that happiness comes your way? Here's David's response. God, you've put more joy in my heart than they have with their grain and all their wine when it abounds. Remember, David's the king. Who gets the excess of their grain and their wine? Who gets the the taxes, if you will? David does. And he says, God, you've put more joy in my heart than when their grain and their wine abound. In other words, I ain't trying to be made right with you because of your grain and your wine or anything else. I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord and He has put more joy in my heart. That's who is going to show me happiness. And look at the result. Verse 8, here's the end result. If you handle anger the right way, Here is the end result because this is where David concludes. In peace, I will... Now David's back to himself, right? In peace, I will both lie down and do what? Sleep. What does that tell you about David? In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. And here's why. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That is the ultimate goal for each of us in responding to our anger in the right way. We trust the Lord. We go about it the right way. Now, when David ended this psalm, had the reconciliation taken place? No. They're still believing lies. How long are you going to do this? But David is able to lie down in his bed and sleep peacefully, sleep in safety, sleep in joy. Remember what he said? You, Lord, have given more joy to my heart than all that. He's able to have joy. He's able to have peace. He's able to have safety. All of these things happen, and he has found true happiness because he can trust in the Lord. And he knows that he has went about it the right way to deal with his anger. So in closing, go back to Ephesians 4. This is the closing. And you'll be able to see now why Paul quoted Ephesians 4. He's taking them back to how we deal with anger, right? And so he says, first off in verse 25, Ephesians 4 verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So there again, Paul's concern is what? The unity. Making sure that y'all are growing together in this thing. We need each other. This is not just something we say to keep people coming to church. The truth of the matter is, I have um, enjoyed just as much love and goodness in the old wells with 20 members 
as I have in this wells with 200. Now I'm not saying that I'm not thankful for God's growth. I'm just saying that this is not something... We don't just say we got to maintain unity because we're trying to get more people to stay in the church. No. No, this is God's design for how we grow in our faith. And unfortunately, how many of you know, you will never have the opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness. You'll never have the opportunity to respond to anger the right way unless somebody does what? <laughs> Sorry, guys. You're never going to have the chance to actually show that you're Christ-like and be long-suffering unless you have to first what? Suffer. You're never going to be able to be tender-hearted and kind unless somebody gives you the opportunity to be tender-hearted and kind. You're never going to have to show forgiveness unless somebody does what? Offends you. And so all of these things happen in the midst of this and we wonder why we come to church and have to deal with stuff like this. We think we, we actually leave here and we think, this is the church of God. We shouldn't have to deal with stuff like this in the church of God. Come on, guys. Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. So, put away falsehood. Put away lying. Speak truth with your neighbor. But if there is lying or if there are offenses, what do you do according to verse 26? Be angry. Be angry. But don't sin. Don't sin. And do not let the sun go down on your rage, on your wrath, but instead ponder in your bed about it. Meditate on it. Think about it. Get your mind and your heart in the right place. Correct? And then the sun don't go down on your rage. The sun don't go down on your wrath. But instead, you're able to sleep peacefully because you understand exactly what needs to take place. Your mind is in a place of reconciliation. You, can, you should be able to get yourself back to this place that you need to be because anger is not controlling you. You are now controlling your anger. And so, think about some of the ways we can let it lead to sin. And this is my closing. We can sin by not going to God first and asking Him to help us fix it. Ain't that what David did? We can sin by not trying to be reconciled, but just staying mad. And let me tell you something. If you really think you can go to another church and offer up your gift to God, what do you think Jesus would say to you? Leave it there. Offer a right sacrifice, not a wrong sacrifice. Am I preaching this morning? Offer a right sacrifice, not a wrong sacrifice. We can sin by, um, by reacting quickly and not meditating on the right response, not pondering in our hearts on our bed to really, in silence, to really think through how we should be reconciled. We can sin by trying to, to keep serving God in our unresolved anger, again, not offering right sacrifices. We can sin by not considering that the one we're mad at also belongs to God. They're God's too, guys. Can, can y'all can remember that this morning? Nick King belongs to God too. I know he makes you mad all the time. He belongs to God. He's God's. And you better be careful with how you slander Him 
You better be careful with how you tell vain lies. You better be careful with how you say vain words trying to draw people to you and put Him down. You better be careful. Alright? You can sin by not trusting the Lord and by going your own way. So finally, in verse 26 again, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath or your rage, and give no opportunity to the devil. Here's the last thing you learn from this. The devil is real. And his goal is to steal, kill, and what? He's a roaring lion going around looking for an opportunity to devour. How many of you, if you knew there was a roaring lion loose in your neighborhood that's seeking to devour people, how many of you are going to leave you sleep with your door open that night? We're not that dumb, are we? Don't give opportunity to the devil. This is a great... And I don't have time to preach on that. Finally, look, look down at verse 29 and you'll see why he's following this train of thought. Look what he says in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for what? Building up. So, can you see that we're interpreting this the right way? As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And then verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then finally, verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander any of these things be put away from you along with all malice. And instead, here's what you put on. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Why? That's right. As God in Christ forgave you. This morning, the message is very simple. Anger is understandable. I've probably angered some of y'all in here this morning. Some of y'all have angered me this morning. And let me tell you something. If you stay in a family very long, anybody here know anything about family? Family gets mad at each other. Brothers and sisters, that's what they do. Sometimes sisters and sisters. And if somebody in your church don't offend you after some time, you want to know what the truth of it is? You probably ain't family. And so I'm saying to you this morning, this is not just another sermon. I'm tired of watching my family... And I ain't seen nobody do this in a while. I'm thankful I can actually preach a sermon this morning that it ain't happening right now. <clears throat> but I'm telling you, over 20 years of doing this, how many times have we seen it? So many times. Guys, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your rage, on your wrath. Talk to God about it. Have a heart to think about it. Ponder on it. Meditate on it. Find a way to really seek reconciliation. And then put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. He is the one that will put more joy in your heart than anything that believer can or can't do, whether they, whether they admit they're wrong, whether they ever, whether, no matter what happens, put your trust in Him.
You know what he said? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will what? Repay. And when you decide that you would rather take vengeance out on yourself, you need your own justice, here's what you're saying. God, I believe that I can do a better job at vengeance than you can. Go ahead and try that. See how it works out for you. Be angry, but don't sin. Offer a right sacrifice to God. If there's something in your heart this morning against another brother, before you try to worship Him, before you try to raise your hand in praise, before you try to serve Him, leave your gift at the altar. Go back. First be reconciled with your brother. And then come back and offer your gift and offer it right.